Hey there, folks. Welcome back to another edition of King of the Ride podcast. I am Ted King. I am your host. And as always, I am ecstatic to be here. So I'm thinking that maybe today's edition of the show should be called King of the Ride on the Road. King of the Ride, subtitle on the road. Let's explore that a bit. So there's a good chance you caught wind of this podcast as we're still relatively new via social media, maybe on the Instagrams or maybe maybe the Stravas or Twitters of the world. And as you may know, if you've been following that, then you will know that the wife and I are moving from California to Vermont, one coast to the other, although Vermont is landlocked. So, you know, it's just a mere crossing of New Hampshire to hit the, hit the Atlantic. And rather than pushing straight through, I'm making a really fun road trip out of it. Laura's going to fly east and meet me. And so I got a whole lot of time to, to piece together a really fun trip. So the way you make lemonade from lemons, I'm making a super sweet bike-inspired road trip, seeing all sorts of friends, colleagues, and anybody else out there interested in hanging out from a boring old road trip. And so far, so great. For example... The day we packed up and put the last box into into the shipping container, we went on a dawn patrol, which served as a really nice goodbye, uh, bidding farewell to some really good friends in the Bay Area, although we know we'll see you guys again. Then hopped in the car and drove clear across to Winnemucca, Nevada. From there, woke up early and went to Park City after a good long drive and shredded mountain bikes for nearly three hours. Thank you very much, Jamie Driscoll, for the recommended route. Riding in Park City is spectacular. Similar story the next day, hopped, uh, hopped in the car nice and early, drove Wyoming, drove into South Dakota, and here I sit in Spearfish, South Dakota. It is Sunday morning. I got in Friday night. I knew I'd get here. I knew I'd get to Spearfish sometime in my life. I just, I didn't realize it would be so soon. So connecting dots here. Coincidentally, I'm at the dinner table before Dirty Kanza. There's a whole bunch of Sramis and folks from Quark there. Sramis being folks from Sram. And Nate Keck was sitting across the table from me and he he's an employee at Quark. He's a ripper on the bike. And he said, hey, you know, we're talking about all things under the sun. He says, hey, I live in Spearfish. It's a really fun town. It's one of these you know top 10 outside magazine places to live. I'd heard of it. I mean, as an outdoor person, um, you know, I think you've heard of Spearfish, but it's sort of bizarre because it's a town of merely 12,000 people. Anyway, I knew one way or the other I'd be here. Fast forward to about Tuesday of this particular week, and I put... Um, I put it out there on the social media. I said, hey, I think I'm going to be in the Rockies sometime this this weekend. Surely there's some sort of cycling event. Where should I go? So I thank you all very much who reached out to say there's a gold rush gravel race going on right here in Spearfish, South Dakota. Light bulb moment. Boom shakalaka. Um, is that NBA Jam? I think it is. Um, and yeah, I, I, I decided to make my way a little bit north. I've done the east-west route across Colorado a whole bunch of times. There was a race, a mountain bike race in Colorado that had crossed my my consideration, but going VO2 for two hours at, at altitude sounds like a whole lot of work that I'm not so down with. So did the Gold Rush gravel race. Uh, race promoters Perry and Christy, they were super welcoming to me. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for uh, putting on such a spectacular race. The community at the race before, during, and after, I mean, <laughs> holy moly, I've probably taken... I was blown away how many selfies, high fives, hellos, and, and literally thank yous for coming out both on course and before, during, and after. So yeah, great community here. Um, th- those guys, Perry and Christy, they also put on a race I've learned called the Dakota 5-0. 
50 mile mountain bike race, 50 miles of single track. It sells out in a hot second. I think it's one of these races that, you know, they cap it at 750 people and it sells out in, in 20 minutes. So put that on your calendar for 2019. Similar story, Gold Rush Gravel Race doesn't sell out, but, but you know, I had an amazing time yesterday. It's, uh, Spearfish is awesome. It's got that Midwest charm. Seeing the course yesterday, it has that Wild West sort of ranch feel. Um, beautiful, cute little downtown. It's it's a riverfront town. Uh, it has the requisite coffee shops, breeder shops, pizza shops, everything you'd ever want. Nice breweries. Um, today, as soon as I, as I wrap this up, I'm going to hop in the car and, and put in another bullet long plug east. I'm going to cruise across South Dakota. So I went up for a, a final spin today with Nate Keck. Uh, he is a total ripper in his own right. And we explored the Black Hills. Uh, Spearfish sits at the very north end of the Black Hills, which is this really cool geographic area. They are distinctively dark hills. Um, but man, the the riding today, we were going to do a quick hour. I think we were probably out for almost two hours. It's just, it's everything. It has a flowing single track. It has high alpine, lupine flowers. I don't know what it is about being in high altitude. We were only at like 6,000 feet but the colors seem crisper on the wildflowers here. It's it's here, Colorado. I mean, maybe it's oxygen deprivation. I don't know. The the riding was great. Exposed rocky riding. There's plenty of rocky, rooty New England stuff. It was in a in a hour and a half, two hour session. We saw a little bit of everything. Um, I don't want everybody to come to Spearfish and sort of spoil what they have. There's some special sauce here. But but the fact that it's not an easy town to get to, I think it um, it keeps that keeps it at arm's reach. Anyway, if you have the opportunity to come here, I highly recommend it. Um, what else is going on? I've had literally hundred plus recommendations for audiobooks, another hundred for podcasts. Um, I ended up downloading and finishing my first book, listening to it because reading's difficult at 80 miles an hour. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. So my wife had recommended it. I knew I would read it eventually. I just didn't know when. I knew the the general gist of the book, and I knew it was going to be a really heady, heady topic and didn't want to just rush through it. So, you know, in effect, it's um, it's an autobiography. It's a memoir, uh, which must have been incredibly difficult to write. Uh, Paul is a young neurosurgeon. He is a certifiable genius. Um, he acquires a very dire form of cancer. And so the book is just all about how he faces it at a young age, um, as a young, growing family, um, with so much, he has so much zest and potential and, 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 you know, future in his life, but it delves into the question, you know, if an unexamined life is not worth living, it, it, Paul is, he's examining a life and he lives it to the absolute fullest. So it's a tearjerker. It's a funny thing to be cruising across Wyoming and sitting in a car by yourself, tearing up and literally crying, but to be honest, it reminds me a bit of my father. So plenty of you probably don't know the story. My father, uh, he was a very lauded hand surgeon. He suffered a stroke 15 years ago. Um, and my family and I, my mom, most importantly, has seen firsthand what goes through uh, what what a brain injury does to a human being, um, how it affects the mind, body, spirit, and soul. Um, so, I mean, I'll probably continue to talk about my dad over the course of this podcast series. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the King Challenge. I, I host a ride back in New Hampshire called the King Challenge. This is our eighth year, I believe, and fingers crossed, we're going to pass the million dollar mark raised um, for 
facility called the Krempel Center, which is a facility for adults with brain injury. Incredibly important to me, my family, my dad attends the Krempel Center three days a week. Um, so long story short, kingchallenge.org. Please check it out. October 20th, 2018. Next book I downloaded is called Building a Brand Story by Donald Miller. Recommended by to me by our guest today, the brilliant Jim Meyer. Jim is the he's the founder and uh, he's the founder of Quark. He's originally an engineer and mathematician. Um, he's an athlete, and so he, with all wearing all those caps, I think we have a really interesting conversation. I mean, he raced Dirty Kansas. He raced the Gold Rush Gravel Race uh, just yesterday. He's got Leadville coming up. We talk about all things under the sun. We talk about full aero suspension tandems. We talk about gravel. We talk about the state of the industry and beyond. So I think I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. We, we step on a lot of topics, delve into a lot of topics. Um, I'll wrap it up there. Thank you all very much for listening. Please keep chiming in on the trip. I think I got four days left. Um, yeah, truly, I really appreciate it. Trust me, I am being safe. I am checking the messages when I'm getting gas or jumping out of the car to do some jumping jacks on the side of the highway to stay awake. Um, yeah, shoot me a messages at anything. I am Ted King, Instagram, Twitter, and of course he is Ted King, which looks like heisted King at gmail.com. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jim Meyer and please enjoy the show. AC is rocking. We're going to turn that down in three bottom right button two one sound check magnificent um jim meyer welcome to king of the ride podcast yeah glad to be here welcome to spearfish oh my gosh um i never would have guessed that i would be here um because it was only one week ago that we were in emporia kansas we were sitting down to a pre-race uh, delicious burrito, uh, a Mexican restaurant. I had a burrito um, and I was sitting across from Nathan Keck and he said, hey man, you got to come to Spearfish. It's one of these super cool towns. It wins like, you know, best, uh, you know, top 10 best town to live in and outside magazine, yada, yada, yada. I'd heard about it at length. I knew you were from this area. I never would have thought that driving across the country, I would end up in Spearfish and here I am. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's like this, you know, 85 degrees mm-hmm. year round. Yeah. Never gets cold. Oh my gosh. It's just like this sunny all the time. That's outstanding. I, I would have expected it to snow, but apparently not. Yeah, it does sometimes. I just don't remember. Okay. Yeah. Ignorance is bliss. Um, born and raised? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Grew up here, uh-huh. rode my bike all over town, went to high school here, left for school and then uh, came back and was a little bit surprised that I came back, mm-hmm. you know, small place. But then after you're out and about and now that it, we're in the 2000s and you can run a business from anywhere, it's yeah. actually a really great place to come back. Truth. And of course, when you have a cycling business and you can ride gravel road, mountain, fat bike, everything right from town, yep. it actually makes sense. Sure. So. Well, yeah. So, you know, let's delve into what we did today. Um, I ended up in Spearfish because I'd, I'm in the midst of driving across the country. I had put out a tweet or social media post of some kind and said, hey, I'm driving across the country. I'm going to be in the Rockies or thereabouts this weekend. I'm sure there's some sort of cool event. What should I do? And uh, almost immediately, somebody said, come to Spearfish for the Gold Rush Gravel Race. Lo and behold, 
6.30 this morning, there we were exactly 12 hours ago on the start line at the Gold Rush Gravel Race, which you've done a handful of times before. I yeah. reached out to you almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great race. Uh, we got a good good race scene here mm -hmm. uh, with some long-standing mountain bike races. And then as gravel came around, uh, started up this gravel race. And so 110 miles or 70 miles, yep. uh, which is really great. You know, it's a long time. It's a big commitment. And sure. uh, it's good. People get all fired up to train for it. Yep. Uh, and then of course this area supports it wonderfully, you know, cause there's just tons and tons of gravel roads. Sure. Uh, there's 4,000 miles of gravel roads in the Black Hills Holy of Western cow. South Dakota. A lot of it's fire road or logging road, mm -hmm. not quite as maintained mm -hmm. uh, or pseudo maintained as what we rode today. Yep. But it's the exploration's kind of endless. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it. I thought, you know, I'm navigating with, uh, the courtesy of a uh, GPS and you would, I knew there is a lot of logging going on around the area and you'd see all these outshoot roads and I'm like, oh my gosh, there must be so much good exploring around here. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's easy to find some dead ends, sure. but it's also easy to connect some really neat stuff. And so, yeah, once you, once you start to learn it, you can kind of stitch it together. Yeah. And you did it today on what kind of bicycle? So it was Ventana. Uh-huh. Uh, El Conquistador de Montañas. Okay. Uh, it's a tandem. Yep. Um, yeah, the, the, it was a full suspension tandem gravel bike with aero bars. There it is. That is the ultimate. Yeah. In the Venn diagram of bicycles, I think that might be one of the smallest. Yeah. Full suspension gravel. I wouldn't even call it. Well, it's gravel today. It was given, gravel today. Given the tires you put on it. Yep. But yeah, aero full suspension tandem. Yeah. yeah Amazing. We were, we were under geared. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. We, yeah, we yeah. needed a little more gearing. Sure. Yeah. So next um, time you're flying Eagle on that. We are Eagle. Yep. And uh -huh. uh, normally we mountain bike with that. Mm -hmm. uh, well, not we, I was riding with, <laughs> the, with the aforementioned. Yeah. Nathan with Kirk. Nate uh, today, but more normally we're uh, tandeming with my wife. And so we usually actually mountain bike with it with a 32 and then mm -hmm. the Eagle. Uh, we put in on a, on a 38 for today, mm -hmm. uh, and had it spun out for 30 minutes solid coming down the road. Yeah. At the end. Home, so yeah, we were flying down the Canyon. Stunning. The whole, I mean, to boil it down, the riding here is outstanding. We are on the, the Northern edge of the, uh, black. Yep. Northern part hills. of the Black Hills, northern tip. You yep. know, if we ride north of town, you're you're off of them. And actually, as we rode out on the race today mm -hmm. through the kind of the rollers, that's the northern part of it. Sure. Uh, and then, of course, we we rode for 30 minutes from Spearfish, and then we crossed the border into Wyoming. Yep. And certainly during the ride, we were oh, back. We did go to Wyoming. Yeah, we did today. We, multiple times. Crazy. There and back. There and back. Yeah. The things you learn. And we did a quick 45 minute spin yesterday, right from town. It was stunning for. 43 out of 45 minutes. Yeah. Three being a little bit of in-town traffic, which was also equally stunning. I wasn't trying to say anything against that. Uh, and you are riding this aero tandem full suspension for... Yeah, we're going to take make an assault on what we understand to be the tandem record at the Leadville 100. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Is that cat out of the bag? Are you um, going for the record? Yeah, I think this is the announcement right oh, here. Oh, my gosh. This is it. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen. It's official, so... Once it hits King of the Ride podcast, this is official. Uh, what's the date of the race? So I think it's August 11th. Okay. Uh, and yeah, we'll we'll suit up and switch the gravel tires to, to something with a little more meat. How much experience do you guys have at Leadville? 
Um, so uh, Nate's run, done it twice. I did it once. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also done the Leadville stage race a number of times. Ooh, excellent. And then we're going to, uh, my wife and I are actually going to ride the tandem on the stage race, race two weeks before the race. Outstanding. To try to get a little re- tandem recon. Yep. Uh, a little acclimatization. Then, uh, yeah, we should, we should be ready to go. So. Oh my goodness. This is so exciting. Well, delving into aero tandem full suspension is not the purpose of this podcast. Um, although it certainly could be as we talk about the present and future state of the sport. Um, Jim, you and I met, I believe it was either late 2008 or early 2009. Uh, rather than introducing you, I'll let you introduce yourself. Well, okay. You are the founder of Quark. Yeah. Amazing. Um, amazing for no shortage of reasons. I think what's interesting about Quark is I first started using it on Cervelo test team in 2009 and that's where we met. I think power meters um, have come and gone and Quark has, has found a great deal of success. Um, and I think it's fascinating. The, the, I don't know the, the trajectory that you've gone with Quark and now you're creating other products. And, and I mean, as other companies come and go, you guys have found success. So I don't know. I mean, sort of take me through the, the original founding of the product when you, what was the light bulb moment said, Hey, I can do this and I can do this successfully. And you know, now the state of where you guys are now. Yeah. So started Quark in 2006, mm-hmm. I was uh, racing triathlon. And at the time, the only options for power meters were an SRM or a power tap. Um, Ergamo was kind of floating around at that moment. But uh, the original thought was uh, to do a crank set based power meter uh, like an SRM, but at the price of a power tap mm-hmm. and to do it wirelessly. Yeah. Um, and uh, Again, because at the diagram, time, everything was wired. Of like yeah. doing it right there. Like find the spot. Sure. Because uh, that was just kind of the hole in the market. Um, my background is mechanical engineering. Mm-hmm. I, I raced solar cars in, in, in college. That no was kidding. kind of the main thing that I spent all my time doing <laughs> instead of going to class. And uh, it's pretty clear when you're racing solar cars that power is the name of the game, sure. you know, power and efficiency. Uh, and so... Take a quick tangent there. Yeah. Solar cars are cars powered by the sun. Yep. Are they human driven? Human driven. So yeah, there's a, a it used to be a race called Sun Race. Okay. Uh, and they'd race from, uh, we did one from Indianapolis to Colorado Springs. Oh my gosh. And so it's a, it's Edwind. a, yeah, it's a stage race. Uh-huh. And so each day you race, uh, you know, hundred miles or so, hundred, 150 miles yep. um, on a fixed course. You can't exceed the speed limit, but you have a, a, a street legal vehicle, street legal vehicle. So it had a license plate. Wow. Um, and then you have a chase van with it. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, you drive from one point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you stop, it's usually like at a high school. And then you take the, the solar array, the panels off the car yep. and you put it on a stand and you track the sun until it's time to shut down and then you get up the morning and you put the solar panels up again and you track the sun until it's time to go and you put the solar panel on the car and you drive from point a to point b for the next day so you're doing all your recharging post yeah you you recharge as much as you can while you're driving so there's batteries in it yep um but then uh pre and post race you have charging windows um, and then they impound the cars in between. Oh and my so gosh. very competitive, you know, the, what's a car weigh? Uh, oh boy. I'm trying to remember. I think it was around 750 pounds with driver. Wow. Um, 
you know, the, the, the driver was regulated weight and then the batteries were regulated weight okay. and then everything else you could make as light as you possibly could. And so it was all handmade carbon fiber. Okay. Um, and there's the trans translation transition. So yeah, two quark, I mean, you understood efficiency, you understood power to weight ratios. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they, you know, and you're, you're doing math and building things yourself and, and all that through the whole, uh, solar car competition. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, kind of a natural step to, to bring that to cycling. Yep. Uh, and then I've always been interested in cycling swimmer in high school and then, you know, been riding bikes all my life. So, and how, so, I mean, you, you found the company in 2006, you sponsored Cervelo test team in 2009. Yeah. Um, that was, do you remember where we first met? Yeah. What? I'm pretty sure it was in Portugal. I'm trying to remember okay, the name Faro. of the town. Faro, Faro, yeah. Southern Portugal, yep. Cervelo test team, team camp. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was somewhere there. And I, I, I vaguely remember drinking, it was like a wine, big wine cellar thing, something or another. Oh my gosh. Uh, and so it was like a team dinner or something. And they brought us Maybe the wine remember. explains yeah. why I don't remember that particular meeting, yeah. but I vividly remember having you there. Um, very forward thinking team, I think in, in no shortage of ways. I mean, they're from the way they bring sponsors in and have interaction with uh, the riders and the team and the sponsors to to social media, to the production of uh, really great content. How, how were you approached? How, how was your reception uh, throughout the year with that? Uh, yeah. So the then it was Phil and Gerard. Sure. I talked with them, uh, you know, the founders of Cervelo talked with them at Interbike and uh, they were looking for power meters and we were kind of the new player on the block and, and got involved there. And, um, and who else, who, I mean, SRM, PowerTap, that was, was Garmin making their Yeah, the Garmin yet? had just, you, at that point, we were on the Garmin 705 yeah. was, the, was the head unit that everyone had. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, everyone, everyone had to get the Garmin 705. You look back, that actually had the little joystick thing oh, on it and everything. Right. Yes. Yeah. So that, that's back, back at the original. And, of course, that was a little unique because all the power meters before that, you had to buy the power meter and the head unit together. It was like a mm -hmm. system. Mm -hmm. um, we completely forget about that those yeah. years. But right then, that 2009 was right when you, the Amp Plus was... Was just coming out sure. and you could mix and match um power meters and head units like we all take for granted now yep and how was from your set of eyes how was your perception of, of working with the team with uh how what were the learning curves what were the the steps you took yeah well the the learning was was rapid and brutal sure <laughs> um i remember that that camp had a lot of rain i don't yes. know if you've purged that from your memory or not no, but it I seemed remember like it was that raining part. every day uh -huh. um and uh yeah we we figured out how to test for water mm -hmm. <laughs> uh water ingress and uh didn't, didn't do a very good job uh, and on some moments and mm -hmm. kind of figured it out afterwards mm -hmm. but certainly i think that one of the things that that's the most obvious and something we still use today is that if you really want to see how something's working, you need to get a lot of them in one spot and use them every day. Sure. Because um, it's one thing to make one thing that works once for one person in a lab and it's something else to make a bunch of something and have it work for everyone all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's just a big gap between those things. Uh, and that was one of the biggest lessons through working uh, Cervelo test team mm -hmm. is to help us build our, our testing systems and gain our maturity of manufacturing process and all that and that was a big portion of what the team was all about is you know they wanted to have sponsor feedback and they wanted mm -hmm. to to hear from athletes who are putting it through the paces at the highest level um 
When you founded the company, were you living here? Were you in Spearfish? Um, so the original work, uh, I was actually spent a year in Australia. And so some of the original design work uh, happened there mm -hmm. and then came back here and uh, did the, the rest of the, the startup, moved through a couple buildings here in town, mm -hmm. like a small thing, just a couple offices and a garage, uh, moved to a little bigger building and then a larger building. Um, and, but yeah, most of the life of the first time we hired any employees was here in Spearfish. Yeah. Which must be heartwarming in a way. I mean, we're in a town of what, 12,000? Yeah. You have, what did I learn last night? 30, 40 employees? Yeah. You have, I mean, the product is built here. Yep. It's, I'm yet to visit the office. Uh, it's a weekend. We've been eating Mexican food and racing our bikes. But I mean, I think that's, that's just sounds so, uh, I don't know, heartwarming, yeah. lack of a better word. Well, and it's, it's good, uh, you know, we haven't got to the SRAM part yet, but, sure. but, yep. you know, as we, as we look at, at being part of SRAM and, and also what we're doing here, uh, it's important to kind of stay close to your roots. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's important to have the team all in one place, uh, because we can move very quickly, uh, and solve problems really rapidly when you have customer service right here. Uh, when they have our customer service folks, anything that, that gets returned from the field, they rotate back. They, they took a look at, at actual units coming back from the field, they can walk out into the factory and ask questions sure. on the factory floor or two engineers. Uh, and when we design new products, we can pull a, a group together that has actual customer service people, the factory people that are going to put it together, yep. any marketing, you know, all of that, just all in one spot and have a conversation. Uh, and it's surprising like how much that improves what yeah. you're able to do. Yeah, the efficiency um, there is. When you're just eyeball to eyeball and Everything. work through things. Sure. So you're... Even engineering background, what what is your day to day? What is your job title now outside of founder? So my job title, official job title right now at SRAM is category manager for digital or digital integration. Okay. So my job in category manager means that I'm in charge of product uh, and and some product development, mm -hmm. uh, and so my day to day is both looking for new products to build uh, and um, managing the creation of the current projects that we're working on. Uh, once something's into production, it's kind of off my plate uh, and there's other, you know, the rest of the team that's executing, building every day, answering the customer service questions, selling all of that. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I tend to focus my time on, on building new product uh, and figuring out what's coming next. And since the cat is well out of the bag, at some point you were acquired by SRAM. Yeah. So within the bounds of what you're allowed to talk about and certainly outside of them because it's just between you and me, mm -hmm. what is involved in that process? Yeah, so that that actually, SRAM's a, a unique place. Um, Stan Day is the founder of SRAM mm -hmm. back in 1988. He was a triathlete, invented grip shift. Well, he didn't invent grip shift. Yeah. A f another buddy of his invented grip shift and they went into business together. Oh, um, that company has an amazing story. Yeah. yeah. And so Stan Day, who was there at the beginning when there was two or three people involved, uh, is still the CEO. Um, and that helps the, the organization as we've grown up for over the last 30 years. It's still relatively flat um, and close to the roots. And so, you know, we were talking about sponsoring Cervelo Test Team in 2009. I think the first call I got from SRAM was in 2008 um, with one of their advanced development guys wow. who's still the advanced development guy 10 years later. Nice. Um, he uh, just gives a call and just wanted to chat about what we're doing and what's going on and reach out and meet people. 
people. Um, and so that's what we did. And so we had a few points of discussion, um, you know, every six months or so. Uh, and then we ended up building some power meters for SRAM and putting SRAM's name on them. Uh, we did that in about 2010. And then the acquisition happened in 2011. My impression, having worked with Quark in 2009, I liked all the concepts. Yeah, we ran into some trouble early on with uh, how much it was raining. Mm -hmm. um, I saw great advances over the next couple of years and and basically it was a life, uh, flip of a switch. I mean, it was snapping fingers. It was like once I knew you had the backing of SRAM, it's like this company is going to succeed. Mm -hmm. um, it will you know, be able to, to problem solve and, and execute all the troubleshooting that you had had up to that point. So, I mean, I've I've loved seeing the success of Quark, having been part of it for many years, and yeah, now it's really fun to use a lot of the products. So, speaking of which, I've recently got my hands on and my tires on some tire whizzes. Yep. Um, so, talking about other products, tire whiz is a incredibly accurate way to measure your tire pressure. Um, how long? How long has that been in the works? So Tire Whiz actually is one of our faster projects. Okay. That's something where uh, we'd have to go back and actually look at the calendars uh, to count the months. Mm -hmm. But I think that we committed to building Tire Whiz around 12 months ago. Maybe it was 11. No kidding. Uh, and banged it all the way through uh, start to end in about 12 months. Maybe it was, it was between 11 and 13. Yeah. Uh, start to finish on that project. Um, Tire Whiz benefited a lot from Shock Whiz, yep. which is our suspension tuning device that we had just done. And um, that was a bigger, more complex project. Um, but uh, Tire Whiz was able to do pretty quickly. The fundamental function of it is pretty simple, mm -hmm. um, but it's super important. And that's one of the things that we're excited about Tire Whiz and also Shock Whiz, but particularly Tire Whiz because... Mm -hmm. You know, just measuring your your tire pressure. I think a lot of people just don't understand what it's like to have the tire actually working underneath you. Exactly. Uh, most of the time, it's just pumped up hard as a rock, and you're skipping across the road and don't yeah. understand there's another so, world of performance. Folks listening, Tire Whiz with a Y T Y R E W I Z. Um, it screws into the valve stem, and it reads an incredible, incredibly accurate measurement of your tire pressure. Yeah. Um, it's Ant Plus. Yep. So along with it comes an app and then you can you can set the parameters of your height, your weight, your tire width, the tire you're riding. Um, and it'll give you a recommended range of tire pressure. Uh, and then from there you realize just how inaccurate your pump is. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the, the other thing with it is that, you know, that the the little lookup calculator is a starting point. Mm -hmm. And then once you know you have a good pressure measurement, you can trim it up and down by a PSI sure. or two, you know, daily to figure it out where you want to be. But then the nice thing is that there's actually, and this is the, the not yet fully realized how valuable of a feature this is, but there's an LED light on it yeah. uh, that's red light, green light. And so once you're dialed in and you know what you're like and you get it set, then every ride, you don't, you can put your phone away, you know, you just move the bike and if you're green, you're good to go. Um, and, uh, if you're red, you can, you can trim it up. And so like I actually at dirty Konza last weekend, I mm -hmm. brought somebody's like just little micro pump mm -hmm. off their bike and just pump, gave it a few more pumps and oh, got up kidding. into the green zone. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you don't you don't have to reach out and find that other digital tire pressure gauge to That's get where you want to be. Yeah, I think it's 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 often overlooked. You know, people give it the thumb pinch and say, "Okay, I'm good to go." And uh, 
as incredibly calculated as everything else is on one's bike to the, you know, to the millimeter, to the, to the individual watt, to the heartbeat. People are like, eh, they pinched the tire. That's yeah. good. I'm good to go. Well, it's, especially you know, this gravel riding. Sure. I mean, you rode a slate, which had a front suspension on it today. Yep. But uh, most people are out there with, on a rigid bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that tire, that's your entire suspension. That's the, the, the whole ride performance is right there in that rubber mm-hmm. and the pressure. Um, and it's a, it's such a hoot to think of a past era. I mean, even as recently as probably 2014, um, when I was racing in Europe and certainly back in Cervelo test team days, 120 minimum, you know, mm-hmm. 120 all the time. Um, yeah. so it's, it's cool to see this, this delve into the engineering and the, the physics of it. I mean, you're an engineer, you can speak to it far better than I, uh, that, lower pressures can be more efficient and can be far more comfortable. Well, and especially now that we're even on the road, like nobody's running a 23 C tire anymore. Right, right. Like we're all at kind of out at 28s or, or whatever. Uh, and when you get, you know, a 28 or 30 C tire mm-hmm. on a wide rim bed mm-hmm. and you know, maybe you're 130 pounds or something. Sure. Like your road pressure might be in the low fifties, mm-hmm. you know, Which and is, it's, it'll roll crazy fast. It's staggering. And, and it'll follow bumps in the asphalt and everything. You're not skipping across the road anymore. Yeah. Now I still periodically get a handful of messages from folks who are like, Hey, Hey Ted, what tire are you running there? I'm, I'm still running my 23s. And I'm like, Oh my Lord, I haven't in retirement. I haven't ridden anything smaller than a 28, typically on a 30 or 32 road mm-hmm. tire. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll, with the tire whiz, I'll check it out. And I'm like, oh man, I'm literally running 50, 60 PSI, which yeah. is, it's a staggeringly low number. And yeah, I don't often nerd out on numbers, but these are the kind of numbers that I love talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, when what, you, people forget, like, or maybe a lot of people don't realize that a wider tire mm-hmm. actually is a more efficient rolling tire. Okay. Like the, the wider rubber, the, you know, you, the, the contact patch on the ground, if it's long and skinny, mm-hmm. it's not as efficient. It's ru- actually distorting more rubber. Hmm. So as the wire get tighter gets wider, it rolls better. What makes it slower is that it's wider and, and punching a bigger hole in the air. Mm-hmm. So it's a little less arrow. Okay. So, you know, as you go from a 23 to a 28, it's actually rolling faster the whole time. Okay. Uh, it's just a little less arrow, which is the trade-off. Um, but as when you're on a wide rim and some things that are designed for it, where it's on the rear and it's tucked in behind the seat tube. Yeah. Like the wider, it becomes better everywhere. You have explained that so perfectly well. I knew that there were studies explaining that wider tires are more efficient and I never knew why. Yeah. Boom. There it is. Um, so, I mean, as an engineer, like what, what excites you? What are you looking forward to? What, um, what is going to change? Here's one that I asked. I remember asking uh, an engineer, probably, I think it was probably Cervelo test team days. We've seen bikes go from steel to aluminum to titanium to carbon. Is there ever going to be another material? I don't know. That's not my world that I live in. So, <laughs> okay. So, you know, maybe, uh, yeah. you know, obviously the, the carbon's certainly come a long ways. You know, we're in a different sure. place than carbon now than we were before. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can build, build a nice carbon bike, a nice aluminum bike. Mm. Uh, I don't Absolutely. know what, what's next beyond that. And then how about... F- from your job title as, say it again, digital. Yeah, digital integration. What are the projects you can talk about, can't talk yeah. about? So I think the the main thing like you is we're working on a lot of things 
to try to make everything simpler. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's a little counterintuitive when I've talked about shockwiz and tire whiz and power meters and people get kind of uptight about like, oh man, we're going to geek out on numbers and we're not paying attention to riding and all of that. Um, I think that's a little bit of the phase of technology. Like we're all getting used to power meters mm-hmm. and the power meter doesn't have to define your life. It's just a tool, you sure. know, it's just a, a reference. Um, and so when we're thinking about shock whiz and tire whiz, you know, some people, you know, the tire whiz, it's an extra thing that you're putting on, uh, that, you know, sticks off your valve or whatever. Um, uh, and they're 200 bucks a pair. So it's not cheap, you know, it's new technology. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we look forward, you know, I want to imagine a, a time when these kids come along and, you know, think about somebody who's six years old now, right. Through the life of their cycling career, it's the good chances that there's a lot of electronics that will be on their bike and it will just work and they won't ever have experienced riding a bike that doesn't have a light on the wheel or there that tells them that their tires pressure is right. Yep. Um, wow. And so it's our job to kind of make that happen sooner uh, mm-hmm. and pull that in. And that's, that's where I spend most of my time is just trying to figure out how to make it really easy, really simple and really useful. Sure. Yeah. It's amazing the number of, objects on my bike that I have to charge mm-hmm. now. Um, so certainly, you know, I'm riding super fast, light bikes that are highly efficient, but you know, the bike is an amazing thing because it, it can be used for so many things outside of racing. So yeah, the integration of you know regenerating lights and, and the commuter who knows how much tire pressure they have and they can just yep. look at the green light on their, on their valve. Yeah. But it's got to become easy. Sure. And, I, and I think that, you know, the model for that is you look at the supercomputer that we all have in our pockets. Mm-hmm. It's just a normal part of the way we operate. And like, I don't know how many alarm clocks get sold, mm-hmm. you know, anymore because we're all just using the alarm on our on our phone. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, it's a crazy complex device for an alarm clock. Mm-hmm. But we're at the point when, you know, your phone, it's just, it's useful. Yeah. Uh, and, it is a uh, supercomputer. It's funny. It's an absolute supercomputer. When you walked in the door, we were talking, I was talking to Jesse over here uh, about our high school flip phones. And mm-hmm. man, that was as much as I hate to admit it. Yeah, I'm getting old. And well, yeah, but you had a flip phone in high school. And <laughs> for one I'm, year, senior okay. year, right. But yeah, sure. I, I missed that. Yeah. I didn't, I went through college without a phone. Oh, man. And, and didn't have the internet in, co- in, in high school. Like yeah. I remember seeing the internet for the first time as like a, sophomore or junior so it was a peaceful era in so yeah i think it'll be nice when these things are commonplace and and seamless exactly precisely okay taking a step back last week we're in dirty kansas we're in kansas uh first things first how'd your day go uh pretty good had a flat Mm-hmm. Right when like an hour and five, hour and 10 minutes, right when the pace kicked up and everyone's, sure. was, you know, and guys slow yeah. down, I got a flat. Yeah, exactly. We, we, we were rolling along kind of fast for about 10 minutes and then uh-huh. I heard something and I kind of looked around cause I thought for surely yeah, this I, must be somebody else. My legs are not getting sprayed with sealant. What's going yeah, on? Like what's going on? Uh, but of course it's 200 miles. So uh-huh. you just change your flat cause who knows how your day is going to go. Um, yeah. And I, I rode well through hundred miles or so and then just leaving checkpoint two, my belly kind of was not real happy with me. Um, and I rode for a few more hours and then decided that there was, I thought I saw a town to the side and I thought, I'm going to ride over there. And if they have a diner, mm-hmm. I'm going to eat lunch. Um, I like this. Yeah. 
Virgil, Kansas. Okay. Um, for reference, Virgil, Kansas does not have a diner. Okay. They do not have a gas station. How far did you detour? Uh, like a mile and a half. Okay. That's like not it, bad. Was, it wasn't fat. It, it wasn't bad. Which for those who have not been to Kansas, to have a town that's a mere mile and a half away is a miracle. It's great. Well, and it's it's also kind of the reminder thing because like. You're I thought you were going to say you're hallucinating. Yeah, no, no. There must be a just, building over there. Again, it's long day, so your goals change. Right. Sure. At first, it was like, yeah, I'd kind of like to top, finish top 50 or something. Yep. And then at some point, it's like, I need to figure out how to get to this next checkpoint. Yeah. Like, then you just kind of problem solve from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I drove by a house and they had like an RV and some people and some kids on a trampoline. And oh I was like, gosh. that looks great. And so I rode over there and the nice lady gave me two water bottles full of just super cold water, oh, which was great. And my, my chain was squeaking like crazy because uh-huh. of the creek crossings. And I asked this guy, I'm like, do you have any, any lube? And he's like, I think I got some WD-40. Nice. And I'm like, well, I'm an engineer, so I know WD-40 is not lube, but yeah. I would have totally taken it. He didn't find it. <laughs> Instead, he came out of his shed and he's like, oh, I got this transfer case oil. And I'm like, that's like 90 weight, super thick right. molasses. That is fantastic. Yeah. So we just coated the chain in that <laughs> and it was silent all the way through the finish. Oh, I bet. So, um, Have you been yeah, able to get it off your chain uh, with yeah. little WD-40? Yeah. It was car wash kind of helped. Okay. But. But yeah, then got back on course, rode through, um, found a spot to to text ahead and be like, hey, I need I need lunch. I need help. And so I had a great pinwheel wrap or whatever and then rode home. Nice. So yeah, it was a good, good day. And Success. I beat the sun. So that was all right. a boy. Yeah. First time. So. That is outstanding. How many Kansas have you done? Uh, first time at Kansas. Oh, I think you're saying so. that was the first sun beating contest. No, Excellent. No, no, yeah, that's... Beat the sun on the first first attempt with some adventure. So that's pretty good. I should say so. Um, again, non-Kansas folks, um, beating the sun is is a highly sought after result. So congratulations. Did you yeah, get your artwork? You. I did not. I wasn't in the first hundred. Oh. I kind of bounced out of it. Missed well, the artwork. Were you 101st? Because I'm embarrassed to admit I forgot to pick mine up. Yeah, it was like 125th or 140th Frits. or something. Yeah. Well, we know some good people there. Yeah. Maybe we can get a photocopy. I'll go back. Attaboy. Um, so my question is going to sort of uh, encompass everything we've talked about. You are a forward-thinking individual. You have, um, you're certainly in the industry with a, with a noteworthy company that is awesome in the cycling world. You've raced Dirty Kanza. Um, gravel racing is sort of a hodgepodge. This particular Dirty Kanza um, was, has been sort of, critiqued in that there were aero bars used and I used aero bars and I won the race and and that was a huge advantage and it's on one hand against the ethos of, of gravel because it's not cool but on the other hand it's like gravel has always been using the best tool for the job so from all things from a gravel rider from uh, uh, an industry standpoint like it's a huge question what do you see as the future of of gravel racing is yeah. it I I really like the practicality of it all. Yeah. And I like the accessibility of it. Um, one of the things I, I've done some road racing in the past. Uh, and I was at the time, I was always contrasting road racing to triathlon. And triathlon is, it, it has, I mean, they're all type A kind of wound up people-ish. But at the beginner side of triathlon, you know, when these sub sprint level distance things, you get kind of a mix of people out. Totally. And it's a big day when you swim, you know, 200 meters or 400 meters and bike eight or 10 miles and run two or three. Like 
you get to go home and say that you did a triathlon mm-hmm. um, and you can bring your fitness bike out and you you run what you brung, you mm-hmm. know? And I really like that feel. And you go over to road racing at the time, you know, 2003, 2006. It doesn't have that feel at all. Cutthroat. Yeah. And I think the, the gravel mm-hmm. goes back to that feeling of, of being welcoming. You know, we were out on the race today it's great because the short one is 70 miles, mm-hmm. which is not that accessible, but it's an aspirational goal. Absolutely. Um, there was a group out there in, that had uh, cotton tank tops <laughs> and pad printed on the back was Spearfish Indoor Cycling. No way. And it's fantastic. They did the 70. And yeah. like, there was a, a bunch of them uh, and, a, and a bunch of women that did it. Yep. And I think that that's the future. Mm-hmm. You know, where people are coming from, whether you have a Peloton bike at home or you're doing your soul cycle classes or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's like workout level, fitness oriented, you come in, you do some rides, and then it's like, hey, do you want to ride 30 miles, mm-hmm. you know, wherever? Uh, and you get into that and then you progress up to 30. Oh, that 70 looks great or whatever. You mm-hmm. you, you become on this journey uh, and you should be able to onboard into it from any direction you approach a sport. And I think that that's what I'm most excited about gravel, about uh, in whether it's gravel or mixed surface or whatever sure. you're calling it, yep, just yep. this evolution of the sport where it's not cutthroat. You don't have to have the right stuff. You just show up and ride and the real win is to to show up at the start line mm-hmm. and get to the finish line yep. and everyone has personal goals. I think that's going to be the most healthy thing, whether it's 25 miles or 200. I think that's awesome. And I think, I think that comes with the mass start. I think it's mm-hmm. the collective feeling of, you know, whether you want to finish in the top 10% or you want to be on the podium or you want to just finish the freaking thing. Yep. The collective energy on that start line, as opposed to starting your particular heat, that's mm-hmm. you know, just so uh, you know, straight from the gun, whether it's traditional cross racing or crit racing, it's like, if you yeah. don't clip in right, your first 15 minutes are going to suck. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, shoot feed zone two today. I had a shot of bullet bourbon. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that's the kind of stuff I love. They're feeding you potatoes. There's an outstanding view and, and those are the things that are lost in traditional road racing. And, yeah. and so, I mean, it's, it's certainly not the answer. Like, because the, you're seeing a lot of traits from road racing coming over to gravel. And, mm-hmm. and I know there's a lot of talk within traditional gravel cyclists. Like, how do we combat that? Or not, it's, it's two-pronged. One, how do you combat it? Or how do you welcome it within the ethos of, of gravel? Yeah, and, and to me, I, I think that, you know, those of us who have been in the sport for a long time start to focus on the the fast end of the races sure. and how the tactics work. And, you know, you can kind of see the influences from other places and all that. But for me and, and thinking from an industry standpoint, I'd go back to the other end of the starting grid, you know, yeah. and the other end of the results sheet and, and, and ask like, is this a healthy welcoming environment mm-hmm. for new people to come into? Mm-hmm. And if it is, then we're doing it right. Yep. Um, and if it's not, we've got a problem yep. um, because we got to, you always have to onboard new people. It, it's like, and that's, you know, cycling's great and it's been around for a hundred and how many ever years sure. uh, and it'll be around forever as long as there's humans, you know, like we're going to be, spinning our pedals in circles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I think that just making that accessible and finding the things that make people put a pin on a calendar mm-hmm. and work for a goal, 
like that, that's the value in it. You know, when you get up on a Tuesday morning to do your indoor class or whatever you're doing, because you know, two months from now, you've got this event, sure. whether it's 25 miles or 200, like that's, that's the value of the sport. Yeah. And we saw a great deal of that today. I mean, it was hyper competitive and it was also incredibly welcoming. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, my first time to spearfish and I've, I've probably not taken so many pictures and high fives and shaking hands and a very long time. It was awesome. Yeah. A great community here. And from all over the area, uh, I took a poll in our final breakaway group. We had Denver represented, Wyoming, Iowa. Um, it's a, it's a tremendous community here. Yeah. And, you know, second of that to tap on your point, it's like cycling is a progression and, and it'll be curious to see what is going to happen with gravel now and for the next two, three, five, 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. But it's never, it's never stationary well, right. unless you're riding a stationary bike. Yeah. Pun Even that's changing. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I mean, you look at mountain biking 15 years ago, it went through a huge low point and now it's back in the hottest thing ever right now. And, and you know, road racing is seeing certainly some transition and gravel's on the rise. And I don't know. I mean, we, I think we, as cyclists want to see success with all of them. Um, gravel is certainly hitting its peak and how do we, how do we ride that wave as, as gravel riders and as an industry folks and yeah, how do we keep the sport cool? Yeah. And it, you know, even the roadside as I put kind of my future imagination hat on, mm -hmm. we're, I think we're at a little bit of a low point of infrastructure for cycling on the road. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Europe is certainly well ahead of the United States, uh, but you know, we've got cars and, and bikes mixed together. Mm -hmm. And I think that's tending to push people onto gravel roads and oh, where there's time. fewer cars. Yeah. Um, and of course, from a race management standpoint, as a race director, you way want all your riders away from cars. Like that is the 100%. last thing you want yeah. uh, is to have car, vehicle car and bike interactions. Yeah. Um, but who knows? Maybe, you know, in the future, if we, you know, there's, you know, maybe it's 20 years out uh, and it's easier or more practical for whatever reason to run road races again where you're mm -hmm. asphalt the whole time, you know, it could totally come back. And, Absolutely. and of course it needs a nice feeder into that world of road racing. Cause I think road racing is always going to be, once you start really drafting, mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it just changes the dynamic of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but who knows, maybe, maybe that could come back and, and become stronger someday. Absolutely. And that's great. Now the tandem throws out a huge draft for it, one. It does. We towed a number of people down the last 13 miles a day. Oh, I bet. Um, I keep on talking about the Nika, I think all, all things NICA are great. The the National Interscholastic Cycling Association, or more affectionately called the High School Mountain Bike League, and yep. you know that's finding huge success. Thirty thousand people in eight or so years. Thirty thousand kids have gone through this program, and it's for that exact reason. Parents are stoked to send their kids to go play in the woods. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, they're not going to experience the dangers on the road. People hear about their neighbor. They're they're. You know, somebody getting injured uh in a in a bicycle automotive accident and it's like yeah that's terrifying but go send your kid off road that's awesome and that certainly i think is going to be a part of the feeder system i mean mm -hmm. we're seeing it already some of these top mountain bikers that are making the transition to road and the action hoggins berman team and it's cool and where does it go right now is anyone's guess yeah and do you think the uh even just the separate from racing mm -hmm. riding your bike on the road mm -hmm. i I feel like we're in the dark ages of that now. Uh, road uh, um, uh, accidents, even separate from cyclists, 
uh, car accidents on the road are going up now. They've been decreasing for like 50 years and in the last six, eight years, whatever. Yep. It's all about the cell phones and getting distracted. And so there's technology that's hit the cars and is distracting the drivers. Um, We're right at the beginning of fighting back with technology. Hmm. Um, And so, you know, I don't really have the, the press releases handy sitting here, but (laughs) um, there's starting to be some, some interaction of and pulling together of a cycling industry group together with the automotive companies Hmm. to figure out how automated driving systems are going to interact with cyclists or the infrastructure Mm -hmm. around cycling. Um, it's unclear how long that's going to take. It's certainly not a five-year game, but in the 10 to 20-year range, mm-hmm. I think that we're going to see um, cars that and, and cycling equipment that alert and talk to each other <laughs> to help um, reduce the interactions of, of bikes and cars. Wow. Because um, you think about your Tesla or whatever, and then all these self-driving car things, you know, there's specific things that we can design and engineer from the beginning sure. to keep the cars from hitting the bikes. Um, yep. And it's a systems approach. It's not just one little gadget. You know, right. It'll be about infrastructure, about cars, about bikes, about the whole thing. Um, but this, we're, it doesn't keep going down from here forever. Like there's there's a brighter future ahead of, of safety of riding on the road. It's outstanding. Yeah, I think it was a short time ago that most cars didn't have... No car had a camera, and now virtually all cars have backup cameras. And yeah, yeah, backup cameras are mandated. Tire pressure is mm-hmm. mandated on cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, airbags and seat belts, all that stuff. I so. wonder how inaccurate car tire pressure is. You you need to get into the automotive industry. Yeah, they they make them pretty good, but they dumb it down on the dashboard. Sure. <laughs> yeah, reduce it down to a single Your light. Orange light is on. Well, I don't know about you, but. I'm getting a little peckish. Yeah, I believe in pizza. I believe in pizza. Um, shoot, thank you for welcoming me to your town. This has been incredibly fortuitous. I've loved Spearfish. Uh, I don't want it to be overrun with all of our hordes of listeners, but listeners, if you have a chance to come to Spearfish, this town is amazing. Bring your gravel bike, bring your road bike, and go off-road because it's certainly welcoming gravel. Yep. Uh, what, in 110-mile race today? Yep. I think I saw six cars, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bring whatever bike you got. Yeah, uh, wrong, find Spearfish on Facebook or something or email us. Mm-hmm. Think fast at quark.com mm-hmm. if you're coming out. Just shoot the customer service people uh, an email and uh, they'll point you to something to ride or stop in at one of the bike shops. But nice. come on down. So That's awesome. Well, brilliant. Let's get some food. Jim, thank you very much. Very good. Glad you could come. Thank you.